This following recording is a bonus recording of the question and answers that followed the Instructing Your Child's Heart teaching. We especially included this section clarifying many of the issues that were discussed. Please enjoy. Well, those are the things that I have time for in our time together today, but I wanted to then turn to uh, any questions that you may have. If, um, I'm not sure how you want to manage the Q&A session, uh, Pastor, but I'll turn that, that is, to you. If there's anyone with a question, please uh, unmute yourself and ask the question directly. Thank you. Thank you, Doctor. Really, really blessed. Um, my question is about ages. Um, I, 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 I align and I agree with uh, uh, dealing with the heart. I'm wondering whether should we progress uh, this as as the children grow because toddlers concentration. Talking through these issues, um, like that you're talking about the heart book. I'm just imagining how how do I get a two year old, a two and a half year old to sit down and now you know just do all these things in detail. Yet maybe a six seven year old is can do that. So I'm wondering whether uh, it, it can it be gradual. Um, how how can you just phase into it so that yeah we can't trash all the rewards and all these other things but I'm just wondering how how, how do you balance that well, in terms of age? Yeah. Thank you for that question because it's it's an important question. I think that uh, in my illustration that I used a moment ago, I sought to illustrate uh, this that uh, with a three year old who's taken the toy from his sister, his younger sister. Uh, I can't ask him about his motivation. Why did you do that? Because he can't answer that question. He he lacks self-consciousness about motivation. He lacks uh, the insight. He lacks vocabulary. Uh, he lacks a maturity of thought and complex thought. So he cannot possibly answer that abstract question, why did you do that? But what I can do when I'm correcting him is I can use the language of the heart when I correct. So that's what I was thinking to illustrate. So I'm saying to him, honey, when you take the toy from your sister, you're not loving your sister, you're loving you. You're not being kind to your sister, you're being unkind. You're not serving your sister, you're serving yourself. So by using those kinds of words, I'm really letting him know my concern for you at this moment is more profound than just the fact you took the toy and you're going to have to give the toy back. But I, I'm talking to him about heart issues. So I think with younger children who cannot read or write or do the heart notebook, we're careful as we correct to use the language of the heart in our correction. And, and it's not a matter of, I'm not, you know, uh, I'm not talking about being con uh, uh, bringing down condemnation on him, but rather I want to shine insight. I want to shine light into his his mind and help him see uh, it's more than just that you took the toy. When you took the toy that she was playing with, you were not being kind. You were being unkind. So those that word kind and unkind is a word a three-year-old probably won't be able to understand or love you're not loving your sister you're loving yourself so i'm 
I, I think with younger children, we use the language of the heart in correction. And as they get older, you're right, we grow into more and more abstract conversation, more and more ability to open God's word, study passages, develop the heart notebook. You can't do that with a toddler. But you can't do that by the time the child is, is you know, seven, eight, nine, able to write. Uh, and it's not arduous for him to write out a verse. It doesn't take a half hour because he's unskilled. Then you can start to do the heart notebook. But with little kids, we can just uh, use the language of the heart in correction. That's a good question, Jackie. Thank you. Hi, Dr. Tripp. If I may ask a question. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you so much for um, all your insights. Uh, earlier, you were talking about uh, discipline and correction. And I found that uh, very insightful. Um, but one thing that, that my wife and I do that, that I am uh, trying to think about is um, when one of our children takes another child's toy, this you, you mentioned that, that maybe that's, a, that's a, uh, not necessarily a situation for discipline, but a situation for correction. Um, but my thinking, considering our, our children and how we know them, like we know what's going on. We have dealt with this a hundred times before. So how do we deal with that? Is that, is that like, you know, you just did something wrong. I mean, their body language communicates. They know they did something wrong. Um, so do you just discipline the situation? I mean, we try to sit with them and talk with them and, and explain to them with discipline. But how do you draw that distinction between when it's the time to discipline and when it's time correction when your child knows they're doing something wrong? Well, one distinction I would make with little children particularly, is that uh, I, I, I want to discipline for things that, that reflect uh, defiance against parental authority. So they're not obeying my directives. And now, uh, depending on the age of the child, it might be a, you know, it might be with a, you know, a six or eight year old a house rule that he knows this is a rule in the house and he knows he's not being obedient to that rule, then I think discipline's appropriate response. But uh, in my illustration of the three-year-old taking a toy from an 18-month-old, I would see that more as impulsivity. He sees something he wants, he has the ability to get it, he takes it. It's impulsive rather than defiant. And, and I think that's a helpful especially with preschoolers. I think it's very helpful to think in those terms because otherwise, if you discipline every time they do something correctable, then all you're doing all day is disciplining. And everything becomes a discipline issue. And uh, it's like the person that only has a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So I think we've got to be, be thoughtful so that we're not, our family life doesn't become oppressive because children are being disciplined every day, all day, because they do so many things that are correctable, they're not necessarily defiant. So I think try to make that distinction in your mind. Uh, so there, I could imagine a situation where, let's say, a four or five-year-old, he, he knows that he's doing something wrong, but it's not necessarily defiance against parental authority. It's just that he's being unkind to his sibling or, 
you know, he's he's sneaking the cookie that he should not be taking without asking, you know, something like that. So I think I think in, in, there are some of those areas where for us to correct is appropriate rather than disciplining every time uh, and try to save discipline, especially with younger children for defiant behavior. Now, as kids get older and, and as they get older, too, they're eventually I'm going to get to the point where discipline does not mean a spanking. Discipline, uh, it may be consequences. If I'd had more time with the sowing and reaping stuff, I could have played that out some. But where I come up with consequences that are not extreme, not excessive, that are designed to underscore the importance of God's ways. So I'm going to use consequences with that child who's repeating behavior that he knows to be wrong. We've already corrected about this a hundred times. He knows it's wrong. I want to bring consequences that are reasonable, that are are logical, they're connected as much as possible to what's gone wrong. And and uh, so th that's what I want to do with the older kids. But thank you for that question. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Tripp. That's very helpful. I have a follow-up question, if I may. Sure. Uh, this is very helpful because it does sometimes seem that all we're doing all day long is, well, not necessarily disciplining, but correcting them and and like you said you, you'd be you'd be disciplining them all day long and um it, it's it starts to feel like i'm being inconsistent just because it's so tedious to discipline the whole time so i just tell them stop stop taking your sister's toy for the third fourth time or something mm -hmm. but about that um, something that, that uh, we catch ourselves doing is saying something like, if you do it again, you will get a spanking. Is that, you mentioned, you, you mentioned uh, at some point that, that, that saying that kind of thing, because it's kind of manipulative language, is that an inappropriate thing to say? And what's a better way to deal with it? Yeah, I, I, would, I would rather not threaten the kids with a spanking if you... You, you do this again. I'd rather, uh, I think that if I believe a spanking is appropriate, it's appropriate. And, you know, I, I may as well do it then, <laughs> you know, rather than, you know, having this threat hang over their head. Uh, but I think, uh, I, I, I mean, I think that's, you know, you're describing the reason why I think that making a distinction between correction and discipline is so important. Because it relieves you of, this, of the sense of responsibility. You can even talk to your kids about this. You may expect discipline from daddy when you're being defiant. There are other times when I will correct you when you need correction. And I'll correct you and I expect you to follow my correction. But so, and that, you know, helps them not to see you as being inconsistent. Because otherwise, what happens is what I've observed too is that many times when people, uh, young people that have kids, they embrace the idea of spanking children, which is very unpopular throughout the world. And uh, it's a real hurdle to get over it. Then they spank for everything. And everything becomes a spanking offense. And I think that becomes very oppressive, uh, both for the parent and for the child. So I think making a distinction between correction and discipline is helpful for you, but it's also helpful for the child. If I'd had the insight when I wrote instructing, I would have written that into it, but I didn't have the insight. Uh, thank, thank you very much, Dr. Tripp. That's very helpful. We have a question. 
that was written. How do you deal with a foster child, three-year-old girl who keeps stealing sweets or chips, no matter how much you spank them or her? Her parents are addicts living on the street. Do you believe in generational curses? Uh, the, uh, the, the, what I'm hearing is a young child, three or four years old, this dealing the chips or candy or whatever sweets. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things I would do is as a adult who's more clever than the three or four year old child is I would hide those things in such a way that they cannot, uh, I would try to keep them out of their reach. So I solved the problem with, I, I, I used to, uh, call that restraining grace. You know, it's restraining grace. If I put it up high enough that they can't reach it, then I've restrained their bad behavior. Uh, or we, we put locks on our doors because of it's restraining grace, you know, it keeps someone from breaking in and stealing. Uh, so I think uh, as, as much as possible, I would try to limit the possibility, the, the requirement to correct because I've made it, made the, uh, the treats uh, inaccessible to the child. Uh, there was another part of that, though, and I, I forgot the last part of that question. Do you believe in generational, oh, generational curses? curses. Uh, I, I do not. I, I, I don't think that's the meaning of the passages that talk about uh, God visiting uh, sin upon generations. I think th there's a sense in which it's generational in this sense that uh, parents who are are not living according to God's ways and not raising their kids according to God's ways are going to uh, repeat the failures of the previous generation and the next generation. But it's not because God has put a curse on the family. It's because that family is still walking in paths of, of disobedience and they are reaping what they are sowing. So in that sense, I think the sins of the fathers follow the of the of the children. Uh, the fathers, you know, are passed on to the children that because the fathers are not living in obedience, and one of the consequences of that is the damage that's done to their children. So I think, but I don't think I don't believe that God is cursing one generation uh, because of the sins of the previous generation. Um, Doctor Chip, I just want to ask you. And um, just back to the circle of the Ephesians 6 circle um, bound, of boundaries. What would you say is the key um, of the parents? Um, uh, what would you say is the key for the children to honor and obey? What is the key for that? The key of that? Is that the question? Yes. Yes. I think that one of the goals for as a parent is that I want I want to be persuasive with God's truth and I want to persuade my children that to walk in God's ways is the pathway of blessing and that obedience to mom and dad is going to be good for you and and because I think children are not motivated by what I want but they are motivated by what is good for them and so I want to help them to see that God has structured the world in such a way the best thing for you is going to be to be under parental authority. So I think the key is persuading them of that. 
I don't think the key to getting them to obey is making my punishments more difficult or my spankings more uh, thorough or thrashing or whatever. I think that the key is really persuading kids of truth. And, and ultimately, God's truth is powerful and it's self-authenticating. God's spirit works through his word to persuade people of the truthfulness of God's ways and God's God's truth. So I think uh, that's really what I long to see in kids. And I think is the key to getting kids to obey is for them to see that this is the way God has structured the world. And he's built it in such a way that it is a blessing for me to obey mom and dad. We have another question on the chat. I have a two-year-old boy. He does not like being corrected at all. Whenever we correct him, he gets upset, sometimes embarrassed. When we discipline him and try to hug him and show him love afterwards, he rejects whatever comfort we try to give him. How do you advise we deal with the situation? Would you advise more spanking until he gets what he did was wrong? No, what I would recommend is talking with him and praying with him about the importance of seeing that uh, it is a blessing for you to have mom and dad who love you enough to correct you. And I would talk to him about that in non-confrontational times, but I would keep that on the front burner. It's something I would talk to him about all the time. So, for example, it's uh, I'm he's waking up in the morning, and I want to say to him, today you're going to be tempted, you, you're going to require correction at some time because you're a young boy and you're learning how to live in the world, and sometimes mommy's going to have to correct you. I'm going to pray for you and pray that God will help you to receive that correction uh, as it's intended, as something that is a blessing for you and good for you. And I would pray in that way when I'm putting him to bed at night. I would, I would, uh, and I would implore him when he's upset. Remember, mommy talked to you about that, prayed with you about that this morning. It's so important that you see that mommy and daddy correcting you is not something bad. It's a blessing for you because it helps you to understand what is good and what is appropriate. So I, I think I would endeavor to persuade him of the rightness and goodness of that. And that persuasion has got to take place in non-confrontational times. Because in times when he's being confronted, he's not open to that. But in non-confrontational times where he's not in trouble, he's not being scolded, you can give him that formative instruction. That's so important because it's really part of that big picture of living under authority. If he's living under authority, then he's going to see that, uh, you, you know, it, it's uh, when mom and dad correct me, they want to give me a hug and and reassure me afterwards. They're embracing me to let me know that they love me and they're not angry with me. Uh, that boy, that's I, I want to persuade him of the goodness of that. So I would see that as a challenge of of looking for every opportunity in non-confrontational times, in times when he's not in trouble, to talk about it. Because in the times when he's in trouble, he's so emotionally bound up with his response that he's not able to receive that instruction when he's in trouble. Good day, Ted. Um, I just have a question with regards to 
when it is a offense where spanking or discipline is necessary, um, is it important for the child? I mean, yes, very young, let's say under two years, maybe three, we accept that they've got a um, good vocabulary by that time. But you can really see they do understand when you're speaking to them. First, instruct and tell them, this is why dad or mom is going to give you a spanking because this is what the Lord says about what just happened. Or would you do that afterwards? Or would you rather do it as you just said now, maybe at a, at a, at a different time point? But I'm specifically thinking about a child that's, you know, already cognitive um, about the fact, you know, that what he did and he knows what he did was wrong. Yeah. How would you go about that? Yeah, I think that uh, the you know if the child is understanding those ideas, I would do both. I would talk about it in non-confrontational times, so that you're talking to him about the idea of correction and discipline and the importance of embracing that. Then uh, I would also remind him of that when I'm correcting. But I think in terms of you know when you're when you're ready to discipline. It depends somewhat on the child, because one of my children, I could talk to him about about here's why you're going to be disciplined, and we could I could discuss that with him, and he could listen to that and receive that, and then I would discipline him. I had another child that was so so fearful of being disciplined that once he thought he was going to be disciplined, there was no reasoning with him. Because all he could think about was the discipline. And so I almost had to tell him at the last possible moment, uh, Danny's going to have to discipline you. And I would uh, get it over with quickly and then talk to him about it afterwards. So I think it depends somewhat on the child and the child's uh, way of processing things and personality, the ways that they respond. Thank you very much. That's very insightful. Thank you.